0: some of us, it's a symbol of anxiety. And in my life, I have to say, I've actually experienced this firsthand. I'm talking about being lined up on the schoolyard wall and picked last. It happened to be in an early day in January, in my grade five year, uh, my family had just moved over the Christmas holidays from the north end of St. Catharines out to the country. And so I was starting at a brand new school, and as I was walking around the playground at Woodland School, I realized that kids around my age played this game called foot hockey basically soccer with a tennis ball on the tarmac that probably because we're in Canada, we have to call hockey. And so to try to join in, I participated and lined myself up on the schoolyard wall for one of the two captains that day to select from. And because I was a new kid, obviously, I didn't expect to be picked first or or really even early. Um... But I could sense that things were getting kind of bad as I looked around and would see people with uh, no real noticeable athletic talent being plucked from the wall like candies from a bag. And I can't guarantee this, but I actually feel like even Mike Krause was picked from that wall before me. Things were going that badly. And you know, to this day, I can still, when I drive by Woodland School, I can see the wall. I can remember vividly that moment early on uh, in the middle of grade five when I started at Woodland School, being the default last pick for that captain on that one team of foot hockey at that recess or lunch hour. And I would say the idea that I can still see it in my mind today kind of represents some sort of residual memory or trauma of you know, how difficult that, an ex- that experience was. So my question today is this, if we lined our church up on a wall and picked teams to do church, picked teams of people who would inspire and stimulate our faith in Christ, picked teams of people who would help us advance God's purposes in the world, how would that work? Who would get picked early on, and maybe more importantly for today, who in our community has to live with the gnawing sense that if we were to employ the schoolyard approach, that they'd be picked closer to last? See, this is the very dynamic that the Apostle Paul sought to speak into when he wrote chapter 12 of his first letter to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he's talking about how the church works according to these divine enablements, these capacities that God gives every believer called spiritual gifts. And he says that, you know, because all believers, part of the all people who are loved by God, who all have access to the saving and forgiving work of Jesus and all as a result of choosing to follow Jesus and receive that for themselves, all receive God's Holy Spirit, all as a result have spiritual gifts. All believers have received spiritual gifts to contribute to God's spiritual family, the church, and to his purposes in the world. But, you know, just in case people in that church were tempted to kind of rank those spiritual gifts, or maybe worse, rank the people who possess those spiritual gifts, he starts to kind of make a point beginning in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you have a Bible or a Bible app you want to read along, uh, you can do that today. He begins there by saying this, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, But all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. And even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. See, this is one of those times in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul uh, compares the Christian church with a physical body. He calls the church the body of Christ. And in doing so, he's kind of preserving the metaphor that a body, while well, one body, uh, contains many individual unique parts. And he says the same thing's true with the church, that the church, as the body of Christ, contains many parts, not just one. And so he builds on that idea, beginning in verse 15. He says this, Now, If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. So building on the idea that a body has many individual unique parts, he says all of those parts are necessary. All of those parts are needed, that it's not just one or a few parts that the body requires, and so certain parts can't feel like they don't belong. He says, not only is a body made up of many parts, but all those parts matter, every single one of them, and every single part in the body of Christ belongs, which kind of leads him to make his ultimate point, beginning in verse 21. He says there, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it, and if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. See, Building on the idea that the spiritual body of Christ contains many parts, and every one of those parts matters and belongs. He says the way that that happens is by appreciating the role that different parts play. And similar to the way that we may be tempted to view our own physical bodies, where some of the more outward parts we assume matter more, when in reality, it's those vital organs inside us. It's the less noticed parts that are really the most necessary. Paul teaches this spiritual phenomenon in the church that prominence does not equate with significance and visibility doesn't equate to value. In fact, counterintuitively from the schoolyard approach, just like in the case of our physical body, he says some of the less noticed parts, some of the less noticeable parts, are actually the most needed. And he says the way that a spiritual body actually achieves the equality and the fullness of enjoying its diversity as a body of many parts where all the parts belong is by disproportionately honoring those less visible, less noticed parts as more valuable and more necessary. That's how the goal of equality and embracing the fullness of diversity is achieved by actually needing the less noticeable parts. For us today, what Paul is teaching us is to abandon the schoolyard approach to how we view building and growing our church community. That even though some parts and some people in our spiritual family may be more visibly prominent, that doesn't necessarily correlate to spiritual significance. And it's only when we treat our own spiritual body in the same reality as our physical body and actually appreciate that some of the less visible parts, spiritually speaking, are really the most valuable and some of the least noticed parts are actually the most necessary for us to grow in our faith and be the church that God desires us to be, will we experience the fullness of diversity and will we experience true equality? That, God says through 1 Corinthians 12, is the way that a community like ours experiences equality in the wonder of diversity by disproportionately valuing the less visible among us and abandoning that schoolyard approach to building our teams. Now, let's appreciate the difference between valuing and needing and just kind of tolerating. Because I think a, a lot of times we can get in conversations of becoming more diverse or embracing a greater degree of diversity. And we can kind of nod, you know, mentally to the concept without really doing anything in our lives because we don't actually value it for ourselves. To live out the reality of 1 Corinthians 12 in our lives today and to live out the same dynamics that are true in our physical bodies, in our spiritual body, in our faith community today, requires us to move beyond just tolerance and mental kind of acquiescing to the notion of diversity and embracing it at a need level. It's only when we truly value diversity beyond what we would typically see and notice that we can experience those less noticeable parts of our body as more necessary. So practically speaking, you know, for those of us at Southridge who are in life groups, think about how your life group was formed and whether you've actually embraced the need for diversity. You know, most of our life groups in a church like ours are based on what we call affinity. They're they're based on common kind of seasons and stages of life, like birds of a feather that flock together. And so, you know, the young married families with kids in our community will gather together in life groups with other young married families with kids, so that they can be relatable and relevant to one another. But the question is today, just like in our physical bodies, what are we missing out on by? Lacking diversity to speak into our lives. And what would it look like for us, even in our social settings and even in our life groups, to reach beyond our kind of natural affinity and draw in a greater degree of diversity that in our season and stage of life we wouldn't naturally necessarily notice? What would it look like to reach out and draw people in of a different age or stage or season of life or a different socioeconomic background or a different race or a different kind of maybe neurodiversity or physical diversity, a a different kind of perspective to actually speak into our lives? Do we actually feel like we need that for our spiritual growth and development? As a church, we've been trying to pay attention to this in the last number of years, especially in regards to our kids and family ministries, in creating a a greater degree of accessibility, especially for those with physical disabilities. And we've had to realize just in the last even number of months that in our auditoriums, where our adults gather, in our auditoriums, a number of our platforms there still aren't wheelchair accessible. I've had to kind of recognize that in the last number of months, realizing that some of those auditoriums are decades old. And we've never noticed that they're not wheelchair accessible. And the question is, what are we robbing our whole community of by restricting some maybe less noticed parts in our body from contributing more fully to our spiritual family together? What are we missing out on where we don't treat the less noticeable parts as more needed. had to face this in my life uh, a few years ago when our oldest son, Owen, broke his foot in a running race. He was trying to qualify for the provincial championships, and he actually qualified On a broken foot in the middle of the race. And so he went to the provincial championships in a cast. This is what he looks like. You can take a look at this shot of uh, what that provincial championship was like back in 2018. And uh, I'll tell you that the the months that followed were difficult for him and and for our family as we navigated that. Visiting doctors and orthopedic surgeons and getting x-rays and seeing specialists and... You know, just wondering how it was gonna heal and was he gonna need surgery and you know, at some point, you know, would he would he be able to run effectively on that broken foot ever again. But time and time again, as we journeyed with him in those months, we would go to these appointments and these consults and receive like best-case scenario kind of updates. You know, he wasn't going to require surgery, and it was healing really well, and, you know, everything was looking really good, and it was setting in place. And it was just an incredible experience of a, a really great uh, journey of healing for his foot. And he hasn't had problems with that part of his foot uh, since then. It's, he's been really fortunate in that sense. A couple months later, though, we, uh, we took our family to go visit our sponsor family in Guatemala, in a way that we've uh, done regularly for a number of years, and in this particular year, we actually journeyed together with another family in our church, Stephen Jess Reimer, who uh, sponsor a girl in the same student center as the kids that we sponsor in Guatemala, and we invited them all to join us together at a Guatemalan water park. Basically, we took them on a three-day vacation and just enjoyed each other together. And so, here's a shot of our family with our Guatemalan uh, sponsor family, and you'll see in this picture, if you look at Owen, he's the tall kid in the back, you'll see on his right foot that he's still wearing the cast cover to protect his cast and be able to participate in this water park, because even at that point, he had a cast on his foot. And uh, on that trip, when we first met our sponsor family, the mom, who's on the right-hand side, standing beside Becky, her name is Brenda, she approached us with this look of grave concern. And she said to us, what's happened to Owen? And she hadn't even seen Owen at that point. She hadn't seen him in his cast, hadn't seen him walking on his crutches or anything. She said, what, what's going on? And uh, you know, it was kind of peculiar. So you know, we asked what she meant. And through a translator, she explained to us that months earlier, she'd been awakened with a vision of Owen. And all she knew was that he was wearing a blue shirt and that he was in trouble. And she needed to pray for him then and has prayed for him since then. That's all she said to us, was that she woke up, she had this vision, he was in a blue shirt, and he was in trouble, and she needed to pray for him. Well, gang, this is a a picture of Owen in that very race where he was trying to qualify for the provincial championships and broke his foot. He's the kid in the front, and notice uh, he's wearing the red shirt, or the red shorts. Notice the color of his shirt. You know, when I heard Brenda kind of share that with me in Guatemala at that water park, I'm not one to over-spiritualize things. But I also don't want to under-spiritualize things. And it caused me and it caused our family to wonder if maybe those best-case scenario reports that we were receiving weren't just because of the great medical attention and the specialists and the doctors and the orthopedic surgeons and you know all the therapists that we were consulting. Maybe, maybe it was the product of the prophetic gifts and the work of God through the intercessory prayer of a four-foot-six Guatemalan woman that we had barely noticed. Maybe what the Bible teaches is actually true, and our spiritual body works very much like our physical body, and maybe, just maybe, the less noticeable parts among us really are the most necessary What if that's actually true among us, gang? What are we missing out on by failing to embrace, by actively reaching out and needing a greater degree of diversity? And more importantly, who in our community is missing out on making a significant contribution to it and to us personally and as a church community just because they're not as prominent as some of us? Who has to live with the gnawing sense that if we took the schoolyard approach that they'd be picked close to last instead of being able to be a necessary contributor to the body of Christ at Southridge, experiencing all of God's work among us as we embrace the fullness of equality and diversity? What would it look like for us to abandon a schoolyard approach and embrace a biblical approach of disproportionately valuing the less visible parts among us? You know, someone in our community who's wrestled with this for the last number of years is a lady in our St. Catharines location named Sue Robertson, and she sat down uh, with a friend of hers from her life group named Sue Rogers, and uh, the two of them had a conversation. And today, we want to give Sue Robertson some voice in our service. So, check out her story now. Take a look at what she has to say.
1: Good morning, everybody. Um, my name is Sue Rogers, and I'm here with Sue Robertson, um, and. And I'm just, I'm really happy that um, Sue has agreed to talk with all of us this morning. I will be learning as much as any of you. Um, I have been in life group with Sue for five and a half years, and I have walked through some of what we're going to talk about today. Um, let's start at the beginning, Sue, uh, it's a, usually a good place to start. How long have you been with Southridge? I came to Southridge and.
2: September 2008, I believe, it was during the affluenza
1: series, which was really impactful on us. Okay. And then some years after that, some years ago, you started to experience some pretty serious health issues. Well,
2: first going back in 2007, I had a heart attack and then it was presenting me with some challenges and difficulties and I went in for a stent later on in 2011. And I was one of the lucky one in 1,000 people who had a stroke because of it. The result of it was some paralysis on my right side of my arm and leg and also aphasia which those of you who don't know what it is, it's a cognition deficit which affects your ability to speak or process thoughts. The thoughts just don't go to your mouth quick enough. (laughs) I um, went from not being able to walk to finally through rehab and uh, a lot of hard work being able to walk
1: again. So let's move into how you live with your disability. My challenges are many, (laughs) so
2: I won't list them all, but since my stroke, cooking is difficult because then there's the cleanup after. um, Everything that you do that involves your hands, um, whether it's getting into bed, getting dressed, um, chopping up vegetables and doing housework is terrible. (laughs) Um, I always say, like, I'd like people, if they really want to understand, tie their arm down so they can't use it and go through a whole day. And then you'll see a little bit of what I'm living with.
1: How has that affected um, your involvement at church? What kinds of things come into play? Have, Have there been times when you have felt like an outsider even? How does it change church life?
2: Well, before I used to be a greeter. So that changed because... I felt I couldn't do it anymore. One, because it requires you to get there early. And with the stroke, I have a difficult time sleeping. I just don't know where I fit in. Just to getting involved, it's difficult to know. Vicki, who is also in our life group? She found um, a group, and we would get together and do things to help out wherever there was a need at the church. But it was it was challenging. I still did did it, and it's. It's nice to feel needed, but hard to find what you're needed to do.
1: Is there anything as far as your spiritual walk, as far as your, your your faith walk, your relationship with God as opposed to people, how has that been affected by all of this?
2: Well, again, that's it's been affected by not knowing where our Heavenly Father wants me to go and do um I'm just not sure of that Mm -hmm. but he still plays a large part in my life I uh, I'm, I'm still as close to God as ever um I've never felt alone. I remember right after the stroke when I was finally able to come to church, um, the one song about how God will never leave you, and I just cried. It was so true, and it's... Just amazing how he works sometimes.
1: Thank you for sharing all of that. Um, so, is there anything else you help us with as a as a church, as people who want to do? We want to do better. This whole series is on embracing the diversity within our family.
2: I would just want to say that don't stop what you're doing as a church because it really does impact everyone. And whether it's going for coffee after and just being together and knowing that there's so many people that have problems that you don't see. When we go to church again, I always sit in the front. One, it's because i like to be there. And two, it's because the ground is flat. Otherwise, you're standing on an angle. So a lot of times, I sit alone, but it's not my choice. Um, Reach out to people. Just say hello. Say no. I hope that they're doing fine. love love them and I can't wait to hug it hug everybody
1: (laughs) I know I just thank you so much for your attitude your graciousness um and for your bravery today thank you for talking with us
2: you're welcome and thank you for letting me share my story
0: ask yourself this today. Why does a woman who is so eager, once we're able to hug, to express the life and love of Jesus through hugs to people in warm hospitality feel like she can't serve in our First Impressions ministry as a greeter because she doesn't move fast enough for the rest of us? And why does A woman like Sue have to live with the haunting sense that her faith is stuck because she doesn't know where she fits in the body of Christ and in the family of God. And what are we missing out by missing out on those hugs and that hospitality that someone like Sue, by Jesus' spirit in her, could provide us? Gang, let's abandon the schoolyard approach to how we pick and build this team. Let's embrace the biblical approach that our church family functions very much like our physical bodies, that prominence doesn't equal significance, and some of the least noticed among us are actually the most needed and the most necessary. And let's reach beyond our affinity and embrace diversity that pursues equality among all of us where we all belong and we all matter because we're reaching beyond our affinity to disproportionately value those who otherwise would be less visible among us. Let's pray together. God, I pray that uh, today, across all of our church family, that we would take your word to heart and realize just how much your spiritual body is intended to work in the same way that our spiritual bodies work. Help us to abandon the myth that prominence equals significance and help us to look beyond our own comfort, our own privilege, our own affinity and our own biases to reach out and actively embrace diversity, to contribute and speak into our own lives, and to build your church and your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. God, as you make us that kind of community to a greater and greater degree, I pray that we would celebrate the wonder of your work through more and more diverse gifts and people among us. God, grow us into the full, flourishing, blossoming community that you intend us to be as we embrace a greater degree of diversity by disproportionately valuing the contribution of those who otherwise might be less visible among us. We pray that you would do this work in each of our hearts and in our community together as a whole. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.